Good morning, everyone. We're going to be in Psalm 37. Last week we were in Psalm 32. Both of these psalms are psalms of David. Last week we talked about the theme of confession that David is expressing through his own time of needing forgiveness and how God gave him that forgiveness. And now we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 37, which is a very different time in David's life. This is psalm is really like getting a cup of coffee with an old wise king who wants to give all that he has learned over to us so that we can live the best possible life that we can. And he's going to take up the themes this morning of worry and envy. I know none of us struggle with that, but you can still listen in just in case you want to. So I invite you to be in Psalm 37 with us. You can follow along on the screen. Let me pray, and then I'll read God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We pray that you would be with us. Help us to learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those who are listening, that you would show them what your will is for their lives. Lord, we thank you for this time of Lent. Help us to be thoughtfully reflective on the things that we love and why we love them and how we can spend more time doing things that matter for you. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Psalm 37, the first 11 verses. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Let's talk about this first verse. Hebrew scholars teach us that the word for fret, as David teaches us how wise it would be if we did not fret, connotates this idea of turning up the heat. 
So really what it's saying is, is when we worry, we turn up the heat in our lives. One of the things that we're worried about in the Dunn household right now is a new involuntary pet that is living in our car. There's this little mouse that has left evidence of itself in our car, has left not such a great smell in our car, and we have spent a week or so now trying to eradicate this little mouse from our car. We've done many things. We've read articles on the internet that sent us spiraling into great worry about what would happen to our car just by this one little mouse. And so you have, you have a good, wise recommendation for us. Feel free to leave it in the comment section. But I can remember sitting down to pray this past week and as I was going, trying to get into my best contemplative mode, I realized that the only thing that was taking space in my brain was this little mouse. So I did the only logical next step, which is to pray in imprecatory psalm. One of these psalms that is smite the enemy. So I started praying a smiting psalm against this little mouse. So far, inconclusive results. I remember also in the past week, as six-year-olds do, Remy was really fixated on how exciting it was that there was a mouse in the car, and so he's been telling everyone at school all about it. And we ran into someone who went to school with him at the Riviera after school, a first grader, really big deal to a six-year-old kindergartner, and within five minutes he was telling this first grader and his mom, all about our car dilemmas with the mouse. And I thought, Remy, quit telling everyone all of our secrets. You see, worry just has this way of turning up the heat in our lives, and David wants us to know that when we worry, we are wasting good energy on the wrong Things Are there things that you have been worried about this week and you can, with a little bit of wisdom, just take a moment and say, maybe I've turned up the heat too hot on something that isn't that big of a deal. You see, David didn't have a mouse. He had real enemies that he's talking about. We mentioned that some of them last week. We mentioned Goliath, this great foe who wanted to destroy his people. And so this was a significant thing to be challenged by and worried about. Or Saul, who he had this relationship with, but ultimately Saul became jealous of David and tried to take David's life. And also, later on in his life, he had Absalom, his own son who wanted to mount a revolt against him. David had very real enemies in his time, and yet his wisdom at the end of his life is to say, even if you have real enemies, fretting is not the way that you deal with them. Fretting is about trying to control things that you cannot control. And he's saying, if you have a real foe, 
what you should be doing is paying attention to the things that you can control. Spending time on the things that you can change. Trying to be level and clear-headed. This is great wisdom, but it comes in the negative, right? It's saying, do not fret. Do not worry. And then he also takes up in the same verse here that we can worry and become envious. So when we're worried, we feel this lack. Like we don't have enough. We haven't solved the problems we want to solve. And so it's easy to look out over somebody who is prospering and to become envious of them and pay attention to what they have that we don't have. Of course, they've figured it all out. They're happy. They have the life, the career, everything that we want. And they surely never worry about anything that they have, of course, right? But he says, do not be envious. And Jesus also takes up this theme of envy at the end of his time on earth. Maybe you remember the story in Matthew chapter 25. It's a story of a man who has three servants. He's going to give all three of them a talent, an investment. Actually, he gives his first servant five talents. We might think of it as bags of gold, like a significant amount of money was each talent. So he gives his first servant five, he gives his second three, and he gives his third servant one. He goes off for a trip, he comes back. When he comes back, he asks each of them how they invested the money that they were given. And the first two tell of the investments that they made, but the last has no story to tell about any investment. Instead, he tells, them, he tells the man about what he did with the money. He buried it under his bed. And the reason why he did it, we learn in the story. He says to the man, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went out and hid the gold in the ground. See here is what belongs to you. And he just gives him exactly what he had been given we discover something about what Jesus is trying to unpack with this parable in the way that this servant speaks to this man. He said, I knew, he was convinced that the man who gave him the bag of gold was a hard man, a harsh and difficult judge, you might say. And really, this is a stand-in. God is the one giving the investments to his people, giving us different talents, giving us different resources, but ultimately asking for us to make an investment on what we have been given. You see, but what envy can do is make us pay attention to what others who have been given and what they have been given And we can really sympathize with this man, right? If he has just one bag of gold, but he's spending time with a man who has five and a man who has three, 
we might too say, well, obviously he got shortchanged in the deal. But the man responds to this expression of this belief that he is a hard man by saying, really, the only expectation was that you make an investment. The man didn't care if he made the same investment as the others. He only cared that there was an investment being made. He says you could have put it in the bank and just got the interest and that would have been enough. Jealousy can steal so much of our good energy as we pay attention to what we don't have and we worry about what we don't have by comparison to those around us. When we look at the big scale of human existence, we might be reminded through perspective of just what we have been given here. And to look at whatever we've been given as worthy of an investment, of worthy of sowing seeds and applying in our lives. The psalmist wants you to know that God is not harsh. David has discovered the character of God out of the fullness of his life that God is good. And even when things look bad, that he is working behind the scenes. And so when the wicked prosper, it is only for a season. And so the character of God, the way that we think about God, so determines how we operate in our life. He continues on in the psalm. And we're going to pick up in the section where he talks about delighting in the Lord. There's an invitation. There's an invitation to go from fretting to delight. Taking delight in the Lord will ultimately, it says in the psalm, provide the desires of the human heart. No one unpacked this better than St. Augustine who wrote about what we love in response to a letter that he read by the Greek philosopher Cicero when he was 19 years old. In it, Cicero describes how most people start their life desiring to be happy, but they end their life miserable and frustrated. And when Augustine met God and felt the contentment from a real relationship with God, he set out to write about what he thought would be the thing that would solve this problem for anyone who would listen. He talked about it as ordering love. That ultimately, sin is about disordered love. And virtue is about well-placed love. He uses an example of courage. He says that courage is really about what you love. If you love your neighbor, 
more than your own safety and well-being, you will act courageously. If you want the person that you are speaking with to know the truth, even if it is inconvenient to you because you love them, you will speak honestly. And he goes through all of the virtues to unpack how really, if we order our love correctly, then we can operate out of virtue. Lent is a season where we really examine what we love how we have ordered the loves of our life. What are we truly passionate about? And it's not just a counterexample of do not do this, but it's what are we taking up that we truly love? Because if we spend ourselves on what we truly love and well-ordered loves, then those investments will pay off time and time again. And really what we're doing as we are coming to the Psalms in Lent is allowing for God to shape and form us, to participate in his spiritual formation in our lives, and to reorient our loves and desires in the way that he would want to orient them in our lives. And the way that we start doing that is to not let enemies take up space in our mind or things that we're worried about take up space in our mind, but instead pay attention to who God is, delight in the Lord, and just trust that if you worship God, that you will get the things that you need, that he will provide for you. David's long life has proven this time and time again, and so he passes it on to us. James writes about in his book, James, chapter 4, these desires of our heart as well. And I think this is where Augustine really gets this idea. He writes this, What causes quarrels among you and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you are wrong to spend it on your own passions. God is reorienting us to be his people and desire the things that he desires. And part of the reason James teaches us he's doing this is to keep us from endlessly fighting and quarreling and turning up the heat on things that do not matter and that will ultimately lead us to murderous paths. But when we have a well-ordered soul, we see how we can find the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Modern culture unpacks this in the movie Soul that just came out on Pixar on uh, streaming on Disney Plus, if you have that. No more movie theaters, unfortunately. But in this movie, there is a wonderful depiction of this truth, of what a lost soul looks like. It's an image of a sea of lost soul that have this murky black 
darkness and all you can really hear in the sea of lost souls is the faint longing and fears and frustrations of people who are obsessing over things that they should not be obsessing over. The primary example is a a, a dark black shadow of a being that keeps repeating over and over and over again, make trades, make trades, make trades. And then we get an image of who this person is on earth. It's somebody who is sitting in a cubicle, endlessly making trades on the stock market. And all he can do all day long is worry about making trades, making trades. And even though this isn't necessarily a primary sin, because this man is so obsessed on this one thing, his soul is disordered. He loves the wrong thing. He's spending all of his life's energy on the lost, on, the, on wasted, unimportant things, things that he will not take with him. This one life we have, we must ask, what are we obsessed over? What are we consumed by? Finally, the invitation that David has for us that Jesus echoes in the Sermon on the Mount, is that he teaches that instead of fussing over our enemies, that we should take on a posture of meekness. That it's really the meek who will inherit the earth, who will find joy and enjoy peace and prosperity in life. I've said this before, but meekness is not weakness. In fact, it is actually controlled strength. You can imagine King David, after having this life of so many experiences, had a quiet confidence, a power that was under control, and he says, this is really the right way to make decisions. To understand that you can take on the energy of your opponent, and you can receive blows And if you are unswerved in your goal, even while taking fire, that your enemies really have no power over you. And so we might ask ourselves, where have we trusted enough to know that God will ultimately bring peace and justice into our lives. And that the dramas that we experience now, in a year from now, will be insignificant. I can think of how this applies here at the church. Um, Almost at the very beginning of the coronavirus, we had a session meeting where I had been reading a ton of things about what it would look like to even try and bring anybody back into the church and all the protocols and all the uncertainty that was happening. We're reading literature from other states and things like that. And as we were discussing on session this decision, at one point Simon just said, 
I'm not sure we need to go over all of this right now. He just turned down the heat. And months and months, nine months later, we still are just now tackling some of the questions that were brought up then with much more wisdom and understanding than we did then. So glad we didn't waste too much energy there. And also, I'm reminded on this Sunday that it has been exactly one year from when we stopped meeting in the sanctuary. So in some sense, we have gone from Lent to Lent in this season. (laughs) It's been an endless Lent. Many of you express that you don't want to give something up this Lent because you've given up so much already. Given up being able to breathe air in the way that we want to breathe it. Given up the hugs and the fellowship and teaching the kid, our kids in the ways that we want to teach them and being with each other in the ways that we do and the endless freedoms that we have lost in this season. And yet I'm proud of so many of you and this church because it is when we withdraw, it is when we lose things that we understand just how much we love and care about them. That is what the Lenten season really is about. And so many of you have stuck in with us over the last year because you love worshiping God. You love being the church. You didn't focus on what you didn't have and fuss and fret enough to prevent you from being here and to think on what it is that God has given you and to make that investment in a difficult season. And so we're thankful that we live into the psalm and may it inspire us to go deeper and deeper this week as we try not to worry or be envious, but to stand with strength under control, knowing that the love of God is all we need. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. May you pour it down on each person paying attention and listening right now. Lord, be with them to cover them, to heal them, to move in them and inspire them. Lord, help them to pay attention to all that you have given them. Fill their hearts with gratitude and thankfulness so that they may make the right investments with their life. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.